let's keep <laughs> talking to each other. Let's make sure that we're together, make sure that we're not alone, um, is, 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 is the, the kind of beating heart underneath it. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Yes, welcome back, everybody. We are uh, uh, in, in that, that bittersweet moment of the season, the, the, the time of the season when we are saying au revoir, but only for a little while. Um, as we wrap up season 11 of No Script and enter into one of our two short breaks of the year. That's right. It's been a fantastic season. I was just going through and looking back the other day over the scripts that we had discussed this season in preparation, of course, for next season, which is its own exciting list of scripts. But, you know, we started back with Clyde's, Lynn Nottage's newer play, Clyde's, which was crazy continuation of Sweat. This just fun to yeah. rediscover. We visited August Wilson across the course of this season. We had our camping episode. We talked about Christmas plays. We're just back this week, one week back from a great special guest episode. Tremendous season again of just really, really great scripts. The, the treasure trove that our theater plays. I just, I still think so many people don't know about how many plays there are and how great so many plays are. It's true, yeah. Just just having the chance to continue to engage these scripts that you know maybe maybe you've heard of before. May I? But you know, certainly many of the scripts throughout this season I haven't heard of before, and it's so great to have the chance to kind of dig in, dig into these scripts, dig into these stories, dig into these playwrights, and and have the chance to have great conversations around it, and the, the ch chance to share it with all of you. So thank you all for tuning in to another season of No Script, and thank you all for tuning in today as well. This script is a similar to is similar. To to what I just talked about. <laughs> I've never never run into this script before, um, uh, but today we're talking about We're Gonna Die by Young, Young Jean Lee. That's right. This is a, a play that is an avant, a really avant-garde piece of theater. We try to, at least every once in a while, do a piece of theater that is kind of in the experimental realm of performance art. We don't do it a lot because in this context, it's a lot easier to talk about like a story with a narrative and characters that make right, decisions right. and things like that. But there is a whole world of what you would call theater, but that is not like narrative theater. That's not characters pursuing goals types of theater. And that is lives in this experimental avant-garde world. And for a couple of seasons now, I've wanted to talk about Young Jean Lee because she is kind of the voice of the avant-garde experimental theater world right now. I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to the context section, but she is like one of the like director professors at the stand 
Stanford University theater department. I mean, I'm a major figure in academic theater who also happens to be one of the leading experimental voices out there and studied with one of the leading experimental voices out there. There's a lot of young Gene Lee plays to choose from. This one seemed to have the most sort of ironic wit that would be fun for us to talk about today. <laughs> yep, ironic wit, uh, fitting to put it at the end of a season um, with with its uh, with its uh, declamatory title. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, ex- exciting to have the chance to talk about it. It also has quite a bit of music involved in it too, which is also a fun challenge to talk about in this format. So so excited to to kind of jump into that sort of conversation around this play. I had like just so many of the feels as I was reading yeah. and listening to it. So so yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to have the chance to talk about it. However, before we jump into the conversation, I do just want to take a second, as is always our way, to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all for another great season with you all. It has been a delight to get to share these conversations with all of you um, uh, throughout the season and throughout all the seasons. Uh, it is not a free endeavor, though, and the patrons at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast make it possible for us to have these conversations. If you are a longtime listener, or if you've just tuned into the this episode or just found us um, as a result of the themed month or something like that and are looking for a way to get involved in the show and also help out the show a great amount you can head over to patreon.com slash no script podcast over there you'll find a number of different tiers of patronship the lowest one being just one dollar twelve dollars over the course of the year and even that one dollar amount helps out the show a ton so thank you all for considering uh, helping out the show and becoming a part of the community in that way and we will see you at patreon.com slash no script podcast absolutely thanks to our patrons for their support of another tremendous season you keep us rolling forward and now back to the scripts here we go hey, hey, hey okay so young gene lee new playwright to the podcast so we are going to do a context section uh, we haven't done one of these in a while because we didn't do a full playwright context during our themed month, even though a lot of those yeah. are new playwrights. So young Jean Lee, as I said, she's a professor of theater and performance studies at Stanford University, which is uh, the result of coming to playwriting at a fairly late stage in her artistic career relative to other theater artists. Um Lee was born in South Korea. She moved to the United States when she was just a small child. So uh, immigrant from an immigrant family and and that experience of being outside of the United States culture certainly contributes to a lot of the work, the content that's inside of these uh, avant-garde theater pieces that she works on. She actually studied English at the University of California at Berkeley and then went on to do their Ph.D. program in Shakespeare. She was uh, in, in an interview with the American Theater Magazine talks about this experience of basically believing I'm going to be a theater critic, uh, not like stage plays, but like an academic um, I'm going to do theater criticism, maybe is the better way to say that. And so she was studying to get her PhD in like Shakespeare. Um, and there's a tells this great story in the interview about how she was just wildly unhappy while studying for this PhD. And and she and her therapist talked to her and her therapist said, well, you, you hate what you do. And she said, well, you know what? You're right. I do hate what I do. And what do I want to do is I want to be a playwright, not just 
talk about playwrights, not just analyze plays. So she leaves the PhD program at Berkeley and goes to Brooklyn College where uh, for their MFA in playwriting program where a true legend was teaching, Mac Wellman, who is, I mean, just a, a, an absolute force of experimental theater in the United States. And so for her to go into that program tells you right away the kind of theater young Jean Lee was interested in working on. And she, in this same interview with American Theater Magazine, she describes the challenge of going from being in theater criticism to doing the writing herself and how uh, Mac had to sort of teach her in a different way. A lot of the playwriting students were doing a lot of reading and analyzing. And for young Jean Lee, it was not about reading and analyzing. She had done enough of that. It was just about learning to write, to get out and do the creative work herself, work that came from her and was not just a reference, an illusion, uh, sort of a legacy piece from all these other playwrights that she had known so well. So she describes herself as a sort of a baby theater artist when she went into that program at 29. And from there, Young Jean Lee goes on to become, I kid you not, the first Asian American woman to have a play produced on Broadway in 2018, which seems like yeah. many, many, many years too late for that to happen. But congratulations to Young Jean Lee. What an incredible accomplishment to go for, to, to just track her career up to that point. The play that goes to Broadway in, in 2018 is called Straight White Men. Also sounds like a fantastic piece. I'm sure we will come back to that play on the podcast because it that, that interview is about that piece going to Broadway. And listen to this, Jackson. The play was based on she interviewed a bunch of people about all the things, uh, people who were not straight white men, about all the things that they wanted straight white men to do, like that they weren't doing in order to not be like terrible and, you know, powerful <laughs> sure. and all that, right? Yep. And then she wrote characters that did that, and they were like the most unsympathetic, like, I hate this kind of person <laughs> character ever. And so she stages that, like, kind of discrepancy or that tension between like what we want from people in power and the maybe what what we actually want or what's bad i mean it's just yeah, and yeah. that kind of uncomfortable tension is what young jean lee does she is the artistic director of her own theater company the young jean lee theater company which is a theater company dedicated to producing her plays they tour around the country and internationally producing her work and this will tell you a lot about her sensibility famously the young jean lee theater company sells a t-shirt that says destroy the audience that's what's on the t-shirt <laughs> that is just classic for this particular uh, playwright and theater maker uh, famously, the two the two kind of quotes that float around about Young Jean Lee is uh, Charles Isherwood, who's a, 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 a like kind of a legacy uh, uh, hard to impress theater critic, uh, kind of a kind of a negative Nelly, if I'll be honest. Sorry, Mister Isherwood, that's my <laughs> sense of you. You and I can have a conversation about that if you're listening and don't like that I called you that. But uh, famously, Isherwood calls uh, Young Jean Lee the most adventurous downtown playwright of her generation. Time Out in New York calls her one of the best experimental playwrights in America. A quote I actually like better than those two from the New York Magazine calls her, uh, says that her work is the clearest indication that the avant-garde isn't dead and has never been funnier. 
Eugene Lee won the Guggenheim Fellowship, two different Obie Awards, one, of course, for straight white men, one for this play, I believe, uh, We're Gonna Die, and the Doris Duke Artist Award. Um, some of her titles include Straight White Men, which we talked about, a play called Untitled Feminist Show, which is a wordless piece performed by uh, people who are naked. Uh, this play, We're Gonna Die, a play called Lear, which is a reflection on kind of the metaphysical angst that appears so much of Shakespeare's work. The first play of hers to tour internationally was called Songs of the Dragons Flying to Heaven. Just a huge library that have been published all over. This play, We Are Gonna Die, had its first workshop production in 2011 at the Stone in New York, but then its world premiere was at uh, a famous little place called Joe's Pub, which is the, one of the theater spaces at the Public Theater in New York um, in 2011. It played at the Warhol Museum in Pennsylvania in 2012. It played in Canada. It played at a festival in Paris in 2012. It came back to the Lincoln Center Theater um, in 2012 in September. It was in Melbourne in 2012. It was at the uh, South Korea. It was at a festival in South Korea in 2013. I came back to Lincoln Center in 2013. I mean, over and over, there's lots of productions. Uh, production at the South Bank Center in London in 2015. And then here is where content and reality merge into un truly unbelievable coincidence and irony. In, in 2020... Second Stage Theater, which is an off-Broadway theater, was producing this play um, in New York City, and Young Jin Lee was not in the leading role. They cast it without Young Jin Lee. Now, as Jackson will describe, Young Jin Lee is a character in the piece, sort of, performed in all those other productions I mentioned. She's performing the title role of the singer. In this 2020 production, she was not. They moved the production on past Young Jin Lee performing as part of the ensemble into a, something else, and... It was 2020. So just saying that tells you what happened, right? The production was running, going very well, and closed due to the pandemic. A play called We're Gonna Die about yep. existential dread, depression, and fear of death closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, you can't uh -huh. make that up. You, just, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> yep, that's... <laughs> That's a good legend to spread with this with this sort of play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so we're gonna jump into the conversation on in just a minute here. Um, uh, but jumping off of that context, uh, this is a play. Um, that that uh, as as Jacob said, this isn't really like linear plot or something like that. So, uh, these are kind of a, a bunch of stories that are gathered together, and also not just gathered together, woven together. There is a through line through them of some sort. Um, and we're just gonna talk about them. Uh, and 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 kind of get us started in the conversation. Also of note, though, um, the, the the author's note or the playwright's note, as as Jacob would would likely prefer it to be called, strong uh, <laughs> strongly strongly prefer. <laughs> Um, uh, is it kind of just to sum it up quickly? Uh, uh, um, Young Jin Lee writes that all the stories are true, but not all of them necessarily happen to her. And so the singer is not uh, directly supposed to autobiographically be her. 
Um, and so, so it, there is the opportunity, though. Uh, so many of the productions had uh, Young Jin Lee in the in the singer role. It's it's intentionally written to be available to other people to jump in. In fact, this this author's note continues and says, if you need to make uh, sh uh, performers should feel free to make whatever small changes are necessary in order to make the text feel natural for them to perform. So it is supposed. To, so it's definitely like a, a collection of stories that she's gathered. So many of them, I assume, are their own, but are are her own. Um, that's my assumption. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so, so, uh, but the singer, uh, is the kind of main character, um, that we follow throughout this. Uh, she's the storyteller who kind of gathers the people together. However, the first moment of the play, uh, starts with kind of a jarring moment. The announcer comes out and gives a little bit of context like we do in this show for where this show come comes from, um, talks about it's, it's, uh, kind of some of its production and then says, and announces the show. And now we're going to die starts the play. On comes the singer, um, and the singer tells a series of stories interspersed with songs. Um, the first one, the singer tells a story about her Uncle John, who her mother always uh, warned them to be nice or else they would end up like. Um, and on one night when uh, she was trying to kind of like scare Uncle John and get him to be a little bit more exciting, she hid under his bed and overheard him kind of repeating this mantra to himself about how, how little he liked himself. Over and over he repeats, it, repeats this mantra mantra to himself um and she decides not to she hides under the bed until he falls asleep at his desk repeating this mantra over and over to himself um that leads the singer to kind of comment about like it'd be nice if people had a way to um uh process their loneliness because eventually processing loneliness with friends gets to be a lot and so the kind of purpose of this play is to uh, show people that they're not alone, um, that, that in the sharing of these stories and in the sharing of these songs to give people the chance to feel like they're not alone. And so the singer continues to share stories. She shares a story about how uh, her good friends, Emily and Jenny, when they were little, uh, learned how to, she learned how to ride a bike very painfully um, because she was sharing the bike with them. Um, and she learned how to ride their bike and quickly learned it in like one day. Um, and so they all rode this bike together. They played this game where they were chasing one of them would chase each other, uh, because there are only two bikes to share. Um, and so, uh, they, they came very close friends until another girl moved into the neighborhood and the three of them started hanging out and eventually rejected the singer. Um, and she, in a very painful way on like a playground and, uh, she was kind of went to the nurse's station and, um, said that she was sick and that later that night was so, uh, so sad, um, that she was kind of lying awake and wishing that she could share this sort of pain with, um, someone. And her mom comes in and that gives us our first song, the lullaby for the miserable, which is uh, a beautiful song about, uh, trying to find sleep in the midst of misery. Um, the next story then begins after that song. Uh, the, uh, the following story is, uh, is a, a story of a family reunion. Um, and how the singer uh, brings her her boyfriend uh, to to the family reunion, a boyfriend uh, who is uh, uh, after having many alcoholic boyfriends in college um, and and sort of uh, 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 dating relationships and stuff. She finally brings a boyfriend to her uh, family reunion and is excited for it. However, she overhears her mother uh, talking about how she could never feel the way about her as she does about her sister, and so she leaves that family reunion in pain um, and tries to share it with Henry. Um, 
Um, and Henry tries to process it with her very kindly, but doesn't really understand it because as, as, as the line says, but he was only a child, so he didn't really understand, um, and then eventually fell asleep. And so she sings this song, I Still Have You, which is a, a beautiful song about how, uh, they will always be together. And even if one of them dies alone uh, or, or dies first, uh, so the other one will be alone, etc. Um, but, but they'll take care of each other until that day, etc. And that ends, of course, with so. Of course, later Henry leaves her, um, and um, and uh, that that kind of uh, tells another painful story about Henry leaving and the process by which they slowly broke up, and eventually he moved out um, and tried to leave as little trace of his existence uh, as per her request. Um, she like leaves to go stay with a friend and asks him to take all of his furniture and rearrange things so that she can't see the absence in the space um, to no avail. The TV's missing in a very prominent place and half the books are missing. Um, and so she uh, comes home and still feels the, the loss of Henry. And that's when the song comfort for the lonely is sung. After that, um, we get a, uh, a short story about uh, going to a cousin's wedding and finding her first white hair on her head um, and telling her mom about it. And her mom sings a, uh, a song about when you get old, which uh, the singer says is the only impersonation that she's going to do in the whole evening. Um, uh, so so that's uh, her impersonating her mother, impersonating her grandmother. Um, uh, it's, a, it's another uh, kind of uh, high energy, but, but daunting song about like when you get old, all it's going to be really painful. All your friends are going to die. Um, uh, but, but also if you, if you weren't in that much pain, you wouldn't want to die. So maybe the pain is a gift in that scenario, a very, very, uh, juxtaposy song, um, uh, for that one. And then, uh, a, a, a pretty, um, gripping, really difficult story about how her father died of a, of a very particular type of cancer. Her father was in very good health, um, but got lung cancer and uh, was a like qualified for a miracle treatment, was in the small percentage of people who could qualify for this miracle treatment. Um, and just as a result of kind of bureaucracy and a couple mistakes, um, uh, didn't get the treatment. Waited up until the day before he could get the treatment and actually was confirmed for the treatment. Um, but was at that point in so much uh, pain and sedation in the hospital that he passed away. A, a really um, uh, hard story about his passing away, waking up multiple times from the sedation and Singer, uh, the daughter, being there, seeing him um, waking up each of these times. Um, which leads into a story about her friend Beth, who writes her a letter in this really hard season when she was really angry about the death of her father and the complication. Um, Beth is a friend who she helped through a really horrible time of discovering after 12 years that her husband had cheated on her for 12 years or 10 years, and that this most recent uh, uh, episode of an affair is actually leading to a relationship and he's leaving her. Um, and that leads to uh, a song called Horrible Things, um, which is a, a great song. I'm excited to talk about it a little bit more. Um, uh, just about like the the why do you think uh, that uh, that you're immune to horrible things happening? Horrible things happen to people all the time. Um, and that cues the singer to realize that she did think that she was immune to horrible things and that, you know, maybe like she was owed a bit of non-horribleness out there. Um, and perhaps there is not that owed out there. And, and, and it's, it's more fitting to realize that we're all people and that we're all going to die, which leads us into the, uh, uh, I'm going to die section of, of the play that the title, uh, of, of the play is in this final song. 
This final song is not necessarily the end of the play, though. We hit this final song, and in a very avant-garde sort of fashion, we get all the way through. All of this is performed with a live band. Excited to talk more about that as well. A live band is on stage and a part of all of these things, and the we wrap up the full uh, band version of I'm Gonna Die, and then this uh, kind of choreographed movement piece probably somewhat improvised, somewhat choreographed of the band happens, which um, is just this kind of, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a mosh pit, but not um, uh, a dance, but not of, of the band kind of coming together and moving um, in this sort of synchronized way. There's some dance in there. The drummer uh, flaps his arms and moves around. Uh, there's all sorts of like jumping on each other's shoulders, bringing each other in. The dance kind of continues. There's some uh, synchronized clapping and things like that. I'm trying to describe what is a really visceral avant-garde thing <laughs> with just my words, and it's difficult but all of this happens and it kind of uh, culminates in singer coming forward and leading an acapella version of I'm gonna die um which is um uh intentionally invites the audience sings it enough times at this point that the audience can kind of catch the the lyrics and the the refrain and intentionally coaches the audience to join in to this kind of re repeating, repeating, we are going to die, we are going to die, um, uh, over and over, uh, all the way to the end of the play, which ends in Blackout. So there you go. That's the, uh, a kind of a set of stories that all move us through these moments of real pain in Singer's life in an attempt to help people feel not alone. Um, and I think also in an attempt to, um, yeah, to, to kind of take the role of Beth a little bit and saying, look at all, like we're, we're all going through so much out here and we're not alone. And, and, uh, let's the, the, the community that is built out of that, um, is evident in that last kind of acapella, get everyone to sing together moment. Yeah. Well, it's certainly it, it, the experiential nature of it, the being in the room with the music and the stories and the, all that is, I, I have to believe a huge, moving part of the experience. And I say I have to believe because I've not seen this play performed live. I suspect very few people have um, other than those that were happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, but it, what I have seen is the, a recorded production of the Lincoln Center Theater production. Um, there's, it's a, a kind of a multi-cam shot, a very nice filmed version of the production with Young Jing Lee performing the singer. And again, I, I just want to bring us back to the story of this play. Uh, production closes at the beginning of the pandemic. And then the pandemic happens and shuts down theater worldwide for a significant amount of time. And this recording of We're Gonna Die with Young Jin Lee in the role of the singer becomes kind of one of the pieces of online pandemic theater. It yeah, gets a number of pretty high profile reviews during the pandemic of people who watched this particular filmed production. Again, it was the, the tour had come back around to the Lincoln Center Theater, whichever time it was there. Um, and that, that to me is fascinating because I, like you, Jackson, believe that a lot of this play is in the being in the room, in the singing together at the end, in the feeling of the music in your bones and in your head and stuff like that. Um, and yet I think that a lot of this play's uh, popularity in life have come from this digital production. 
Yeah, that's in, that's interesting. Interesting sort of uh, thing to hold together. Yeah, the the digital production certainly. Also, the the, the, the just so you know, uh, if you're wanting to a way to engage this play beyond this podcast, I'll probably bring this up at the end as well. There's there's an album of Young Gene Lee's band Future Wife doing basically every part of this play except for maybe the announcer part at the beginning and the acapella repeat at the end. Like the monologues are there, the music is there. Um, so so yeah, to have so much of this play's life exist in a recorded format is an interesting thing for uh, a play that I, I, I agree, I have to believe, just, just in the listening to the piece, um, but also uh, just imagining what it would be like to be a part of a production like this with its kind of it's not quite punk rock, but it's it's in that vein. It describes of, of sort of itself like, as pop music. I mean, they they say that yeah. the play is a is monologue, uh, uh, whatever they say it's about, a reflection on depression and death. That's not right. I'm not quoting there. And then the quote is always through monologues and pop songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely some pop popular music feel to it. Also, some like real Amanda Palmer grit in there too, um, uh, with with the lyrics and the and the way that the the instrumentalization works in it. Um, so yeah, there's I I just I just I agree with you. I have to believe that in in a theater there is there is this sort of visceral feeling that is brought about from engaging these stories together. It to me it has a, the vibe of um, a sort of like a stand up comedy kind of deal, mm-hmm. which is why I think Young Jin Lee performed it for so long. I mean, it is very funny, and while the purpose is not to make you laugh out loud like stand up comedy is, there is a kind of uh, a sense in which everybody knows that stand-up comedy is pre-written, right? But it's performed as if it's the first time they're just coming. You know, one right. time I was just doing this thing and the blah, blah, blah. And everybody knows, well, that's actually very carefully scripted. Every stumble, every backtrack to tell a different part of the story a different way is pre-scripted in stand-up comedy. But we just we sort of accept the premise of the performances. I'm just telling the story off the top of my head. And then there's a perfectly orchestrated punchline. This right. does have a little bit of that kind of feel of... I'm just sharing these stories. And actually, it was kind of wild for me because I watched the the performance with Young Jean Lee as I was reading along in the script. And she's, of course, very, very, very close to word perfect. She wrote it. Um, but it, it's amazing how conversational she can make that performance feel. How just like I'm just up here with a mic telling you the the simple little lessons I learned one day. Yeah, yeah. No, it has this... It has almost like a, a, a traveling uh, storyteller feel to it, um, like 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 this. It uh, in something that's pretty rare anymore. I feel like to experience, but something that's pretty uniquely theater to experience. Of this, you just showed up to be here with this person, and they're here to tell you some stories and play some songs and and make make a bit of uh, sort of magic <laughs> happen um, uh, amongst us and make us feel together around something um and that sort of i, I it is it is a, a dissonance to read something on a script uh f- for that um but but somehow i i agree the couple clips that i saw of this of this play and and also just the way it's written cues you to be in that very conversational mode as singer very uh, earnest testimonial sort of mode um that flows into these songs um that that express a continuation of that testimonial 
Yeah, so there is this uh, – I want to read this quote from the script that I think expresses her uh, – uh, that, that gives us her express purpose for what this piece of drama is about if you're willing to believe what's in the play. This comes after she's told the really sad story about her uncle and the kind of really hidden depression and self-loathing that he masked to everyone over the course of the years and then goes into the story about her kind of her first moment of feeling that isolation and pain with those friends of hers at, at six that kind of abandoned her. And then this the lullaby for the lonely, which or the miserable, which you said, uh, you know, is is so touching and and uplifting and 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 so at the end of that first the first song to play the little by for the for the miserable which is just the lines from that are you know you will sleep fast asleep in your bed not a thought in your head you will sleep you are not the only one you are not the only one just simple lines really and um over the course of the uh the the section that comes after that she just finishes the song and this is what she says so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like I said, it's not some big profound thing, but I feel like it's better than nothing. That's the type of thing I'd like to share with you tonight. Just some sort of ordinary comforting things that have somehow managed to make me feel a little better when I was in that lonely, isolated place. And I'm sharing them with you in the hopes that they might help you to feel less lonely when you're in pain, which I hope you're not. Yeah. Yeah, and and kind of consistently throughout the throughout the stories that are told, that vibe rings true. Um, over and over, there's this kind of like I'm I'm wanting to share space with you so that you don't feel alone. I, I that the other big one that makes me that makes me think of is the Beth letter slash song that that she sends to singer when her father died. Um, uh, this this kind of like I don't have words to make it better. I have words to know to to help you feel not alone. <laughs> yeah, well and that 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 song at the end too is so kind of uh it's sort of blunt is a word that I think I'm forced to use by not being able to come up with a better one right now. Yeah. But it blunt seems harsher than what I mean, I think. But the basically the premise of the song is like did you think you were special? Like terrible things are going to happen to you just like they happen to me, just like they happen to everybody. I mean, the song is called Horrible Things. And the line that that comes to that comes from is horrible things happen all the time. And that I mean, that the song is basically they're going to happen to you. And you're not you're not immune from it. One one uh, one of the verses. Who do you think you are to be immune from tragedy? What makes you special that you should go unscathed? So there is a, a kind of challenge under message to that particular song that has the same kind of stress. Like what, what what's so odd about this show in a in a beautiful mystery kind of way is that it's it's really in your face about the hardness of life, the, the sometimes brutality of the 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 misery of life. I mean, the story about her father dying is as just awful and sad an experience of losing a parent. And it it's just that there is this like, here you go. This is how terrible things can get. And yeah. yet the, across the board, 
I mean, this is, uh, this is what Vogue magazine says about it. A goofily grim and oddly uplifting med- meditation. The yeah. word life-affirming is used over and over and over in the reviews and advertisements for this play. I mean, there is a consensus that this is an uplifting celebration of the human spirit. Despite the fact that the songs are things like horrible things happen all the time and they're going to happen to you. What are you, special? You're not special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard-hitting lyrics, hard-hitting content. Um, And, and, and it's, I, I, I don't, I mean, as, as I try to picture a way to make this play goofy, I just have to leave it up to like, I'm going to, I'm going to go and see and it'll work. Um, well, here, here's an example but, of the goof and humor and then you can go right on. It just, I wrote it down because I thought it was so funny, the juxtaposition. So she sings this song about how like being in a romantic relationship can be comforting when things are hard because like, you know, in most romantic relationships, that's the person you sleep next to every night. And so it's a lot about like, I can hold you in the dark. I can hold your hand. And of course, there's also this kind of funny undertone that's like, well, if I die first, then you're going to be the one who's alone. Ha ha ha. But then right after that song, which again, the thesis is being in a romantic relationship can make hard things better. That's the thesis of the song. The very next line, that song ends, and the line is, so, of course, a year later, Henry dumped me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that stands out to me, too, as one of the the, the biggest laughs in reading, for sure. Um, I I think I so so certain certainly I think I, I trust that there are ways that this this play is 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 goofy and even just laughable in some areas. Um, um, I do I, I I absolutely see how it's uplifting though. Um, I think I think uh, the 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 sharing of these stories is only odd because for some reason we don't or or, or feels hard in the extent that it does is only so because we so rarely share them with each other. Um, and yet, and yet over and over, you know, I feel like, I feel like this is becoming more of a thing. People are finding ways to share stories <laughs> that are really difficult with each other. And I think this play is, I mean, the, just the dates of this play, um, could have been a precursor to some of what I'm observing perhaps. Um, but just the ability to, um, uh, go to something like this and feel not alone in some of these stories is so impactful. Um, and the ability of this play to dive deep into some of these moments, um, uh, names really hard things, but then also carries them with this sort of, again, this sort of, uh, uh, testimonial, almost bardic, I don't know, sort of, uh, level of, of, uh, of, uh, connection and earnestness mixed with the way the music is played for the most part does have this kind of like, I mean, pop is, is a, is a, is a good word for it. It has this sort of like uplifting catchiness to it. Even while some of the words, like the words that you just read from that, for, I forget exactly what, I think horrible things are like, they're horrible things. Like it's, it's sad that these are happening, but it's couched in these, in this really uplifting music, in this kind of um, uh, driving beat, in this tone that again is sort of like a mixture of pop and punk and and indie and all these different things and all of that together kind of... Uh, in, has this enriching effect, at least just in the listening of it, I assume in the room as well. Um, but this sort of enriching naming for me, at least of, of, uh, humanity and what we're all going through and the kind of continued choice to keep engaging each other and this, this life full of all these hard things together. 
Yeah, I, I really agree with that. I, I'm going to take, I think, the long way around to reach a similar point. But it, when, when, so I do a lot, I mean, I do a lot of acting teaching now and audition coaching and things like that. And the, the conventional wisdom in monologue auditions is not to tell a story. And the reason for that is because story monologues are very, very difficult, much more difficult than they appear when reading them. When you read a story monologue, you're like, perfect. I tell that all day. <laughs> sure. But in performance, they're very difficult because rarely do humans tell stories just for the sake of telling stories. We tell them for something, towards something, to make a point that is often unrelated or only cursorily related to the plot of the story. And communicating that subtext, here's the plot of the story I'm telling, but here's the message I'm really communicating underneath the story, is, a, is actually a very difficult, difficult acting challenge and it's much harder than it seems and that's why story monologues are so hard to do and why you're best not to do them in auditions is the conventionalism not that that applies across the board or anything but they're just so stinking hard to do that well to tell a story like people really tell stories in everyday life which is not that they're like this great dramatic amazing emotional da 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 da, -da story but that they are a story told aimed at something and this play is that Every single monologue is a story that is tragic and horrible and painful and awful, but it's aimed at something that is none of those things. And mm -hmm. that, that is where the tone and the content of the play kind of diverge and make it such an interesting piece of theater. Because, And that's why I actually think that casting somebody who's not young Gene Lee in this play, you really need, I think, a fairly capable actor to do this. Even though, I mean, as long as you can memorize, anybody can stand up there and tell stories. But the problem is that at first blush, all these stories are tragic and painful. Yeah. But you have to be able to tell a tragic and painful story with the purpose of uplifting someone. And yeah. that is hugely difficult. And it, there's no, I mean, it's no, there's nothing in this, is, it's a very short play, so there's nothing in it that's a coincidence. But it's definitely no coincidence that the first story, the, the thesis of the story is, I knew this guy for a long time, and I had no idea the depths of suffering he was enduring. And that sets us up for this play, which is in part about why? Why do we put on this mask yeah. and hide our suffering from each other? All we're doing is isolating ourselves and each other. Yeah, when we when we could have the chance to kind of share in it, share certainly share the burden, um, but also just share 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 the stories as well. Share the share the uh, knowledge, the knowledge of your connectedness. Share share all of that together. And yeah, I, I super agree. The the uh, the, the 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 river underneath what's floating on top or, or the current is the better that, that's the analogy I actually want to say the the current yes. underneath underneath what we see of the river the river being the stories the current underneath being this let's keep <laughs> talking to each other let's make sure that we're together make sure that we're not alone um is 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 the the kind of beating heart underneath it and so to have um the music play into that um, reminds you that the currents underneath the river all the time. I think it also like, 
I mean, some of avant-garde is to make you feel something, um, but also uh, I, I still try to understand something that's happening in avant-garde. And, and the, <laughs> um, and, and Careful the, the whole, now. <laughs> I know, I know. It's dangerous, dangerous territory I'm walking, walking into. But the choreographed dance section yeah. at the end is also, when you view it in the light of that connection, the way that this band that has sort of existed on stage the whole time as individual units, all playing music together, bringing music to life all together as a unit, great, but as separate units, coming together into this really visceral kind of dance, hugging, uh, carrying each other, synchronized movement with each other, again, leans into that, we're, we're together, we're not alone, we're all together, which extends out to the audience again with the acapella inviting them to sing. So it's really, really beautifully crafted to continue that under or to show that undercurrent all the way through. Yeah, I think the the synchronized movement is probably how I would describe the thing at the end. Different than dance. And yeah. it's kind of intentionally uh, I, I'm sorry to anybody Messy. involved in what I'm about to say, but <laughs> me, it's kind of intentionally mediocre. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. it's not high levels of achievement in synchronized movement or dance. It's just a series of pretty easily executable moves. And then at least in the ver video version that I watch, it's not even like they do them that well. It's just <laughs> the fact of doing them. It's yeah. just this idea that like, you know what, in front of all these people, we're all going to do this kind of embarrassing sequence of moves. And something about that then sets up everybody, their kind of willingness to bear their, to be vulnerable in embarrassment allows us all to be vulnerable and, and communal in the singing of we're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> Acapella as a big group. There's something, there's some connection between those two events. Seeing the band do something strange and odd and, and together and weirdly moving, even though it's not like high achievement in art, in, yeah, in, yeah. in movement art, it sets us up then to have a similar experience of communal vulnerability, even if we can't sing that well. Right, right. It's brave and earnest, and that cues us up to be brave as well. Um, and not only, not only the bravery of 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 uh, uh, not being not necessarily singing all that well and joining in singing, but just to over and over sing "We're Gonna Die" yeah. um, is is not something that we do all that often. It's a brave yeah. moment. It's a brave thing to sing, you know, twenty four or thirty something times over and over in a communal space. So so yeah, it's it's I I agree that that moment sets us up their their earnestness, their realness, their like the 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 move towards these sort of non high art forms of, of of synchronized movement cues us up to have a similar earnest moment in its aftermath and and that it, and that experience is not just here's an experience to have at the end of that thing it is sort of the culmination of like what I would say is the the I hesitate to use the word theme in context of this kind of theater because it's it almost presents a theme which is ordinary comforting things and then there's this sort of sub thesis or it's almost like a way in which they achieve the theme which is here let me demonstrate I can, I will demonstrate what being vulnerable about the horrible things that happen in life can be like 
And all throughout then the different stories, you see that manifested in, in different ways. And of course, it all culminates in a really terrible story about her father uh, and the, the the awfulness and the, the just sort of, I mean, what's so terrible about the story is that it was so preventable and it's like, things got messed up in the bureaucracy of healthcare that caused a death and it was yeah. terrible over. And so all this stuff. And then what comes right out of that is, and in the midst of my suffering, my friend Beth, who had also suffered this kind of random, terrible, uh, physical pain, uh, uh, suffering right out in the midst of emotional suffering directly caused by another person. She reached out and just said, Hey, I've suffered too. And what young Jean Lee says is like, you know, it's not good advice to just walk up to somebody suffering and say, I've been there. But right. that, that aside, there is something to the idea of saying, uh, of, of not just saying I've, uh, I've been there, but saying, here's my pain and your pain. We're in this thing that is sometimes painful. That is life. It's a communal thing together. It's, and I, I actually will tell you the one part of the play where that doesn't – I love the story, but it, I, I can't quite track that particular through line is in the story about the boyfriend Henry in the middle. Other than that, that seems like a really clear uh, 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 guiding principle story after story after story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 kind of kind of consistent arc <laughs> in there, um, uh, uh, kind of uh, or gives us a, gives us a beat of consistency there. I love the line in the in the uh, I'm gonna forget the the name of the song, "Horrible Things" song. Um, in in that category of like not wanting to say to someone, "I've just I've been there." Um, uh, but rather, uh, to, to kind of uh, give, give space to, to know that you're not alone. The, the, the lines, but I know what it's like to cry. How could this have happened? Why on earth should I be cursed? Um, that, that stanza in there makes the, the, uh, subsequent lines that are quite blunt, <laughs> uh, or, or something along those lines, straightforward, perhaps, um, uh, carry the weight of, um, I, I sing this to myself. I say this to myself as well. Uh, it's not. It's not weird for you to feel like you were immune. Um, I felt that too. Um, and and it, we didn't feel we're not, we're not going through the same thing. I'm not going through the same pain necessarily. But maybe the undercurrent has a similar flavor to it. Of I thought I was immune to this, and 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 it wouldn't happen to me. Um, and 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 yet, and so so that that feeling is something that can be shared. There, there's something to the the kind of the the strategy or the tactic of the play, which is to just say like, why why do we tiptoe around this stuff? Let's yeah. just say it. Like here here's what happens. And when you start to do that, and when you start to see connections, and what well, I that's why I think the author's note at the beginning, the playwright's note, but hey, I'll put it aside. At the beginning <laughs> is so important and I almost would think about how to get it into the production in the program or something because of course the first thing it says is like not all these stories are actually mine which is of course important to to notate but what it also says is that like this play is sort of a composite of many different 
instances of suffering. And there's no other real way to put it. And fear of death and depression. And so when you start to look at a composite of them, if we were willing to be straightforward, you could start to say, hey, that moment, I mean, if, if you're any age that has, you've had any life experience of all, you've had something like truly miserable and awful happen. And in those moments, you're inclined, like, why would this happen to me? Like, how, how can I get out of this? How, this, this is a feeling unlike I've ever had in the depths of my despair. And you see, there is, there's something so like lonely and isolating about that. And then you look at like a composite of like, uh, you know, this is one person standing up and saying, here's a story where that happened to somebody. I'm going to pretend it was me. Here's a story that was happening to somebody. I'm going to pretend it was me. Here's, and there's a pattern that starts to emerge. You say, you know what? That lonely isolation was not as isolating as I felt at the time. And if we were just more willing to be straightforward, we may be able to, like as a race, alleviate some of the isolation of misery. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder, I, I wonder, I, I so I super agree with that and, and figuring out, trying to find ways to make that happen in communal space is always the interesting hard part. Um, and, and I think just to, just to bring it back around to something we, we say on the show all the time, that's one of the things that theater can own. Um, that's one of the things that theater has always really been built to do all the way back to tragedy is to create this, this sense of, of, not aloneness. And, you know, maybe in tragedy, you're experiencing pity and fear as a result of someone being cursed by gods. And you're like, whew, glad that's not me. But, but also I felt that some, a piece of that before. And I'm, and, 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 and then when it comes up, you don't feel alone around that. <laughs> so, so yeah, this, this sort of, this sort of vein of theater as a way for us to communally share in, in suffering in really hard moments and to join together in, in a way to engage a story within the, the, the context of a, of a script, of a play, of people doing things together and inviting us into it is a really impactful thing that theater does still own. And there's really very few other ways um, to experience something like that, uh, the way that theater can do it. So kudos to to those of you who are trying to do it <laughs> and kudos to this play for doing it. Uh, we're, we're coming down to the end of our time for the conversation today, but so glad to have kind of wrapped up this season with this particular play. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. I think like there's some irony in <laughs> ending <Yeah>. the season <laughs> of this play. Right, uh, nothing uh, to read into. Yeah, don't, no, don't, read don't into worry, it we'll be back. I promise. In <laughs> January, some point, will the podcast will return after our normal break. Fret not, but <laughs> fret not. <laughs> the uh, w- yeah, this play is uh, a, a revelation to me. I, I hadn't heard of it before the this podcast and I knew young Jean Lee. I knew her from better from other plays, but this was so fun to get to check this particular play out and uh, hope that this unlocks for those of you who haven't heard of young Jean Lee access, go check her plays out. There's some incredible stuff out there. And that's true of all the playwrights that we talk about. There's just, uh, as I said at the beginning, there's so many great plays and that's part of our mission here. And so we're going to keep doing that. 
Yes, and as we keep doing these plays, keep having these conversations, we'd love to keep extending the conversation out to all of you out there in podcast land. Certainly with this particular play, if there is something more you'd like to talk about, there's something that you've either seen this play or had the chance to read this play, or if you go, I'll say it again, if you go and listen to the the like the majority of this play being recorded on a CD, it's on Spotify. Um, you can find it. You can find it there and listen to pretty much this whole play. Um, if you're looking for folks to talk about it with we are those folks and we love to cultivate an area where people can gather together to talk about plays so find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about we're gonna die with you absolutely if you like this conversation any of the other conversations from the full and complete now season 11 send your family your friends anybody you know that likes theater storytelling talk conversations about writing themes characters that kind of stuff send them our way i think they'll like this podcast you can find us on apple Podcasts, google play spotify youtube podbean all the other places that you like podcasts or by liking us on facebook and a link to the new episode appears every month Monday, but not next Monday or the next several Mondays, at least, as we <laughs> right, go right, on right, our right. traditional winter break. We will be back sometime in the new semester with another great season. <laughs> the new semester? <laughs> uh, you know, I live in semesters these yeah, days. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even think about anything else. It's like, it's oh, true. Yeah. what's the next semester of my life going to look like? Oh, okay. It's true. There it is. Something to do with great scripts and great conversations. But until then, I am Jackson. I'm Jacob. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast. See you next season.